and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week we are discussing, rediscussing, rediscussing. 1998 epic war film, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, a movie that I don't know if I should be on this list. I think the... It seems almost disrespectful to say that the opening scenes are thrilling. No, uh, yeah, no. I guess the opening scenes are spectacular. Beyond, they're harrowing. They are, yes. And And to a point where you're like, how did he do this? Right, well, (laughs) um, apparently making a war film was very much a part of Spielberg's... His desire was to make a war film that was more realistic. He did... um, Well, his father was a veteran. Sure. And told him all sorts of stories, and they felt very different from the sort of glorified John Wayne films he was seeing on late-night television, which I suppose that was one of the reasons. I have a very difficult relationship with Steven Spielberg, frankly. Yes, and we're um, going to be talking about him this week and next. Yes, and next week is particularly is one of the instances that makes me, this is the reason why I have a difficult relationship with him. But when he was uh, young, his, he, uh, he would hear stories from his dad. And he uh, he actually made his very first war film, which his father had left him an an, an aviator's you know leather oh, okay yeah helmet. and so he went to a airship graveyard that he knew of, and where they just stack all these old fighters uh, fighter airplanes and bombers that are just sort of left there to go to spoil it happens, and he and his teenage friends walked around and found the airplane they wanted and they began shooting scenes in here. And apparently, to try to make it more realistic, he was part of a generation, and that was a little bit older than me, where you could get all sorts of like newsreel footage on in eight millimeter at drugstores. Okay. You could go to a Walgreens and get you know ten minutes of, in my case, it was the land that time forgot, or this is before VHS, but it was just like ten minutes of dinosaurs roaming around, not the plot, not the rest of the movie. It was very. Uh, in some cases, really well edited. Um, and so he got some 8mm footage and cut it in with his own 8mm footage. So there's a 14-year-old boy wearing his dad's um, goggles and helmet moving back and forth in an airplane that's being rocked by his friends on the sides, and they intercut that with actual footage from World War II. Oh, my God. And that was his first... That feels very Snoopy being right, right there. exactly. And so... <laughs> What he felt was he wasn't, you know, in retrospect, it's like that probably wasn't the most respectful thing to do. But when he started talking to veterans uh, about making this film, they asked him to please make it real. So he felt like he needed to keep keep that promise that he made them. So, yeah, it, it, thrilling, I suppose so, yes, it is. It feels like that's just the wrong thing to say because that makes it sound very kind of superficial. Yeah, that's true. Um, so this we originally did this episode uh, in 2018, mm-hmm. so it's been four and a half years. Right. It was July of 2018 when we talked about it originally. Um, this is when we were doing movies from different decades, and this was the 98 right. uh, version. This is this is the first Matt Damon get left behind, and now we got to go get right. a movie. He, now there's a, there's a whole oeuvre. You can watch this, The Martian, and Interstellar. Sort of 
<laughs> so far, a, I'm sure there'll be more. As a trilogy. Um, and the cast in this is... I, I forget about the right, cast Right, how crazy the movie, cast is. How bonkers bananas the cast is. So we've got Tom Hanks, we've got Ed Burns, we've got Tom Sizemore, who we are hoping is are, is doing well. Um, yeah. We're recording this a little bit in advance, and he has uh, been... I guess they're saying that he's doing better after a brain aneurysm, which is something that very few people get to say, so hopefully yes. he's still doing well. Jeremy Davies, a Vin Diesel, an Adam Goldberg, a Barry Pepper. A Barry Pepper, who I always thought was like uh, a, a takeoff of Skeet Ulrich, who I always thought was a takeoff of Johnny Depp. He's like he's like Johnny Depp put through a, very a, a copy or twice. I just saw Scream. And, and it was Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, yeah, thinking that Wes Craven, when he did this the first time, he did it with Johnny Depp, and now he's just found somebody who looks like Johnny Depp. For a, but like... <laughs> you're right. And the Barry Pepper is like slightly yes. off of that. Giovanni Ribisi, Matt Damon, Dennis Farina, Ted Danson, R. Brian Cranston, Nathan Fillion, Paul Giamatti. What's happening, everybody? And Leland Orser, who normally is the bad guy. Everyone, <laughs> sorry, Leland. I'm. I bet you're a very nice guy, but every time I see you, I'm like, you definitely murdered somebody. Uh, but yeah, that ca- the cast is bonkers bananas. The opening scene is, uh, yeah, where you're just like, I can't believe that we're just storming the beaches of Normandy right now <laughs> for the next for twenty minutes or something like that. It's very long. So, yeah, I guess it does belong on this list. Uh, so uh, we're going to go ahead and let you listen to the rest of what we had to think or had to say about this movie, because I believe it's a fairly long episode. And next week, we're going to talk about another Steven Spielberg at. film, At mm-hmm. the Extraterrestrial, uh, from 1982. That's E.T., y'all. It's E.T. And... Uh, we're going to have some things to say about that one. Cause we, I have some a, opinions, and Lambrusco is helping. It's been a hot minute since we've seen it, and uh, so we're going to have a lot to say on it. And that we will do next week. Uh, until then, enjoy this episode, Saving Private Ryan. Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Private Lemuel. Private Lemuel? Yes. What what rank am I? I think you would be a sergeant. Sergeant. You could be a captain. I, I don't know which is I better. I don't know what any of those things do. Me neither. <laughs> I know captains are ships or they're on dry land. Well, so they're everywhere is what uh, you're I, saying. They're captains everywhere. Okay. Captain Tennille. Yeah. Lots captain of, Crunch. Captain Crunch. He's a boat ship. He's a captain boat Captain Morgan. He's also a boat captain. Captain Morgan, who's in charge of Sailor Jerry. He's a pirate. I don't get that joke. Well, apparently there's a, a Sailor Jerry. It's kind of a knockoff of Captain Morgan. Oh, like a it's a another brand? Another brand. Oh, interesting. So yeah, I didn't know I, that. I don't. So, this week in July, July, we're looking at 1998. And in July of 1998, they decided it was a good time for a war movie. Now, and was it released around the 4th of July? Sort of nope. Take a, wow. The 24th of July, so 1998. This, this was just to depress people. Yes. They were listening to That Boy Is Mine on the radio and watching 27 Minutes of Carnage at the theater. 
This is a very odd movie. It is. It's a very good movie, but it's a movie that feels like it should have been released in November. Um, yeah, I, I felt there were times when I'm watching it that it has the same kind of solemnity as like a religious movie in that it's hard to find things that you actually enjoy yeah, about it. Yeah, we're going to try and be funny, but it's a little rough because there's a lot of viscera in this right. movie. But the film itself, is it's almost like when you're watching something that's intending to be as serious as Passion of the Christ, for instance. Yeah. And about midway through, you're going, this is torture porn with Jesus. Right. Oh, that's exactly right. And, and I got the sense as I'm watching this movie, I don't think we needed to see all of this to get the impression that war is bad. I think it made this statement a long time ago, but it's just this piling of carnage that you're watching. We watched Save and Private Ryan. Had you ever seen this movie before? I have never seen this film before. I had a very public divorce from Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah. When I was a film student. You fight. We had a fight when I realized that he had been basically... Stealing all of your favorites. Stealing all the movies I liked. Like, wait a second. I've seen this before, but I saw somebody else do it. And it turns out that he and George Lucas, that was my very falling from kind of being an admirer there. Because I saw how much of what they did was actually taken from other movies. And whether it was an homage or whether you just basically ripped off the plot of a whole other film and, and made it your own with new technology... Um, that's debatable. And I came on the side of the debate that said, that's not great filmmaking, that's watching great films. That's being a good right. audience member. Well, that's how I feel about Quentin Tarantino. So, I enjoy Steven Spielberg's films. I don't think he is the greatest filmmaker of our time, which everybody uh-huh. seems to want me to say. But I do think that he doesn't make bad movies. He doesn't. His movies are always entertaining, even when he's trying to address a serious subject. And I also argue that he's really good at being a visual director. There are scenes in his films that, where he, like in this movie, where he attempts dialogue between people, and it's amazing to think that the same director who's doing this really dynamic Omaha Beach scene that's mostly sound effects and screaming, yes, and how dynamic that scene is, and then you cut to four people basically standing in a room talking, yeah, and there's no dynamism to that scene at all. It's just people standing talking no but i would i would offer that if you're talking about the room where they make the decision Uh to send them on this mission that the actor that plays the general there Uh commands that he does command the scene but um, in terms of like doing something visually dynamic it's almost like he stops dead when people have to talk to each other oh i see okay it's sort of like i am not in a movement 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 Let's sit down and talk. And but this this movie, this movie then lends itself to that because I right. got to say that the the talking in this movie, which is very long, this movie is two mm-hmm. hours and fifty minutes long. I would say the dialogue is fifty minutes of that, maybe right, a third of it, probably less than that. Less than that, I think, and that's probably why the film is so effective because he's allowed to do work inside of his speciality which is to be really visual and to have the story being told in visual terms. And I'm kind of curious to know if they've planned so so this movie we're going to we're going to bust out the spoilers right away and uh-huh. we're going to bust down the the plot synopsis I think by death. I think that's the easiest right. way for us to do it um and not get things twisted. So this movie is about so we have we open on an old man, and mm-hmm. we don't know who the old man is. Spoiler alert, it's Private Ryan, the titular Private Ryan, James Ryan. It's Matt Damon as an adult. So, well, as a an old. old. Oh, okay. 
And and he doesn't look like Matt Damon does now that he's actually older. Um, I I think they did a good job with the casting, but they I think they wanted a nondescript white elderly gentleman because you're supposed to think it's not Matt Damon. With square shoulders and a square head. Yeah. It's like Matt Damon. Even though Tom Hanks wasn't that square then, but neither was Matt Damon. Right. Who was to know? That they were going to square up as they get That's older, and both of them have. One of the things that always hampers a film where you actually know what the person looks like when they yeah. get old, and like, wait a second, that's not how they wound up looking. Well, but we're not there yet with right. either of them, because no. <laughs> this gentleman is in his seventies or eighties, and he is um, at the memorial in France for the Normandy um, invasion, and then we cut to a twenty-seven minute scene of carnage and destruction. It's a 27-minute horror film tacked on to the beginning of this movie. It is. And it's really, when I say tacked on, I'm not sort of being overly critical. I think it... I'm wondering if in that original yeah. draft of that movie, they were like, the beach at Normandy, or the, the, the Omaha Beach. Right. And then, do you think there was a time period given? Do you think he the original script was like, this is going to be a Half an hour of no, this and that's film. What, when I say tacked on, I mean it actually does not, aside from introducing us to the characters, it really does not contribute that and much to the entire doesn't, film. And it doesn't, it only introduces us to a couple of the right, characters. But it, it doesn't affect what happens in the rest of the movie either. No, but what it does say, do is say, hey, right. this place is a shit show and everything's right. bad. And so, but you're, you're getting, like, it's like, Mortal Kombat. You, somebody's going to peek their head in every 30 seconds and yell, fatality. Oh my God, People so are much death. Cons- and they're, they're dying in really horrible ways. Yeah, and there were like 15, we looked it up, there were like 1,500 uh, extras. Right. Uh, it took, it cost $12 million to, to film. And they used a lot of um, amputees so that, I guess... For authenticity? Well, also because this is not CGI, really, a lot of it. This is right. practical. So practical, somebody's yeah. arm comes off, somebody's leg comes off. And I think to me, the scenes in the actual boat going up to the shore were the most effective. There was a, a bit where people are falling into or they're jumping over the side of the boat because once they drop the. They drop the back of the boat and right. they just get they're decimated. Just slaughtered. And so they're jumping over the side of the boat and people are drowning because. They can't get out of their equipment. It's too heavy. Right. It's dragging them down. Because they've got are, those big, you know, backpacks. Right. Others are being shot um, as they're. Uh, as the oh yeah, and then the shots, the, the 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 bullets through the water, and then you see all the dead fish right. that have been shot and are Not washed just shot, up. They're choking on blood. Yeah, that's true. They can't too. breathe. They can't breathe because and and I that was one of the things I was watching was the water that's lapping up on the beach is getting redder and thicker. Right. As the, as the scene goes on, like, however they did the continuity of that. Yeah, and in in the context of, I mean, just in in Spielberg's script, this is some of his best work ever. Mm. Um, and you're following uh, the character uh, Miller, Miller, John Cap- H. Miller, Captain Miller, Captain Miller. That's Tom Hanks. He's so watchable and wonderful. Well, he's really expressive. He really, he, um, and this is so funny to think that when I saw him the first time, 
He was in a horror movie. It's the first time I saw Tom Hanks. What movie was uh, that? It was the nineteen early nineteen eighties. I forget. It was. Is that the one with the D and D? No, no, no. Because that was after. Okay. Um, he was in this really early horror movie, and apparently he showed up, and so beguiled the cast that he wound up turning what was supposed to be the cameo of the victims, or the lead character's date, into like a ten minute. Oh, interesting. Where he's sort of being very funny and very comical. Yeah, he is an electric person. He's right. very charismatic. I imagine that he and Tom Cruise in real life are mm-hmm. very similar, but Tom Cruise has used his his charisma for evil. Well, Tom Cruise is also very hyped up. and I think that there's Tom, a lot Hanks more chill than Tom Hanks can be, too. I think that's a little bit true. But Tom Hanks can get hyped about some stuff that's not... Right. Hi- and mind you, we we love him because he's from Oakland. He is from Oakland, and he apparently is just a sweetheart of a person. Yes, and he loves typewriters. Mm. And to think this became he's become the sort of the Jimmy Stewart or the Henry Fonda of this generation. He's the lovable everyman. Right, he's done that, and he and Denzel, right. I feel like, are. Jack Lemmon's another one he reminds me of. Just yes. this kind of put upon person who perseveres. And gets through things, and to think, like Jack Lemmon, started his career to dress. Um, oh, that's if he had true. been wearing that dress, he probably would have he never been drafted into was, the army. Was somebody's the very first thing? Maybe. I think it was the first TV show, and the one that you mentioned, Mazes and Monsters. Yes, was uh, something I saw him in too. But God, he was doing weird stuff. But I, Bachelor Party. Yep. Uh, that movie, the the one where he's uh, in the Peace Corps. That was really goofy. I'm fam- unfamiliar with he that did one. Some I don't story. know a lot of his early mm-hmm. stuff. I think uh, my big things were Bosom Buddies and then uh, The Money Pit right. was a thing that I saw umpteen times when I was a child, very many times. It was on Sunday afternoons or yeah. something. It was he had a real time. gift for physical comedy. Yes. He hasn't done that in a long time, but. No. I'd like to see him in a comedy again. He's right. so serious all over the time. Well, no, now. yeah, no, he's sort it's of like carrying he, the weight. It's like he of, went Philadelphia and never right. came back from it. And, and Philadelphia was a big risk for him at the time. I believe it. Well, because yeah. Also, considering when oh, that I movie forgot was that released. they were in a movie together. Right. I was like, why haven't they been in a movie together? Oh, dum dum. They I weren't totally his, uh, in a movie together. His Oscar speech about how. Antonio Banderas, who plays his lover in Philadelphia, yes. is the only man that he might cheat on his wife with. Yeah. <laughs> like, Antonio I Banderas like, is hot as fuck. I like his idea that the last sight that his character sees, there's a spoiler for Philadelphia. Yeah, he dies in that. He dies in this, too. Antonio Banderas' face. <laughs> it's like, that made it all worth it. Yeah, that's, so, that's the way you want to go out. Right. But, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm putting that in my video. <laughs> If I'm dying, just put Antonio Banderas' face over my face and make that the last <laughs> face I see. So he is our touchstone. He's the star right. of the movie, right? He's who we're following through the movie. And he's who the beginning of the movie wants you to believe that this old man is. Right. Hey, guys. Mm, it's not him. Now, to be fair, <laughs> it never says it's him. It never says it's it him, makes but the it association, does want you to And it does, it's know sort that. of bait and switch so that yeah. in the end, his death becomes a big surprise. So after this, at the, at the end of this 27-minute horror film, as you have put it, we zoom in on the backpack on a deceased military member, and it says Ryan. I think it's S. Ryan. I think that one was Sean. But I I don't remember which one it is. And then we go to a room, 
That's probably in Washington, if I had to guess. We never know. Mm-hmm. Um, and where just dozens of women are just typing up condolence letters, telegrams and letters to moms and spouses, I, w- I assume. And one of these women apparently sees the name Ryan, goes, hmm, I feel like I've seen this before, and gathers up all of the, the two other letters and goes to the general in charge and informs him that three of this woman's four children... Which is horrifying. ...have been killed in action. It's really horrifying. And her other son is also, as far as they know, engaged in Europe. Right, and he's also very far into it, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, nobody knows exactly where he is because he's But so, he was involved right. in the Normandy action, and now we don't know where he is. Um, there are people... Th- then there's the decision that needs to be made, and there are people arguing he's already dead, we don't need to worry about it. Like, that sucks, and it's terrible, but he's already dead. And then the general reads a the Bixby letter, a letter to Mrs. Bixby, written by uh, Abraham Lincoln. This is a real letter, is my understanding, who, uh, when he wrote to this woman who lost not four, but five, all five of her sons in the Civil War, and he, the, the, this general vows that that's not a letter yeah. that he is going to write, and they are going to, uh, not that he is going to write, but that the president would write, because... If you lose all your kids, I think the president weighs in. <laughs> um, and he makes the decision that they are going to send a group of people in to find James Ryan and return him to his mother. And this is Captain Miller and his men. Yes. I, I do want to say that this is loosely based on the Nyland brothers. There were four brothers, all, all of Irish descent from Tonawanda, New York, who served in the military during World War II. Two survived the war, but for a time it was believed only one, Frederick, had survived. After the reported deaths of his three brothers, he was sent back to the United States to complete his service uh, on our soil rather Mm -hmm. than on foreign soil. Uh, And then only later they found that his brother Edward was missing in action. He was presumed dead, but he was a captive Japanese POW. Wow. Uh, and he was orig- uh, uh, eventually returned as well. So in this case, two of the four brothers made it back. But here we have one one brother possibly alive, three confirmed dead. And our Tom Hanks, our, our Captain Miller, is assigned the task uh, with sort of a ragtag bunch of people from units who had been basically decimated on the Omaha beach. It uh, seems as if he's there just with a party of survivors. It's basically survivors. And the survivors are really, it's really well cast. Tom Sizemore, Edward Burns, Barry Pepper. Tom Sizemore is a sergeant. Sergeant. Yeah, let's go through it. So it's Miller and Tom Sizemore. uh, Miller is Hanks. So Tom Hanks and Tom Sizemore of the Toms, they were together uh, coming up onto the beach. They have worked together before, uh, along with Burns, Edward Burns who works these days more behind the camera than in front of the camera. And he is... Hold on, let me... He's an interesting character because he's kind of um, angry. He's a private, too. Ryben. Right. The, all, the privates are all the people underneath him. I think the only person who has a, a rank is... Uh, Jeremy Davies ends up... Is the corporal. Corporal yeah. Upham, who we meet later on. Yeah. Um, 
So then we have Barry Pepper, Private Jackson. He's our uh, Southern right. sent from God sniper. Right. <laughs> Which I, I, I find it interesting how he reconciled his what he's able to do with the mission of peace and love through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like yes. He's, my purpose is now to kill things because I'm very, very good at it. I'm very good at and it. I is. am God. God moves through me right. and this is my gift. Uh, and Adam Goldberg as Mellish, a very Jewish character who really likes to just shove his Jewishness in the face of Nazi POWs. Which is understandable Godspeed, entirely. Do yes. it. Go nope, ahead. I'm on board. As we as as we're recording this, the Nazis are making a comeback. So yeah, I'm all for shoving that. things Fuck in Nazis. their faces. <laughs> and uh, Vin Diesel, a baby Vin Diesel. As this a, I kept wanting to call to him. Private Carpaccio, which is it's not, not Carpaccio. It's like Carpaccio, right. Yeah, that guy. Caparzo. Caparzo. And this is early Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel's never going to be killed first in a movie ever again. But, no. guys, it doesn't go well for him. It doesn't. But he's very young in this, so he didn't know to put that in his writer, I guess. I think this is just as he was breaking out, too. Yes, I think he was, so. He'd been in Boiler Room. He'd been in Boiler Room with Giovanni Ribisi, as a matter of fact. Indeed. And um, Fast and the Furious would have come out. This is, I think, around just around the, the same time as Pitch year. Black, I think. Perhaps. Which was his big movie. That was him. And that's a good movie. I recommend I, that Pitch to. Black is great. I even like Riddick. Right. I haven't seen any of the sequels, but I, I still admire that first film. It was really fun. I yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and then I saw the first Fast and the Furious movie while I was in college. So it was after this because I had not gone to college when this movie came mm. out. I was prepping to go and start in September. Mm, maybe August. Well, this movie has a lot of people. There's recognizable stars like Ted Danson in it and act character actors like Dennis Farina. And then there's Nathan Fillion, and there's Paul Giamatti, and yeah. there's all these people who show yeah. up, and you're like, oh, okay, somebody let's, had it. Yeah, let's go a really through, good well, I mean, keep in mind, too, Steven Spielberg says, would you be in a thing, and right. people are going to say yes, and then they find out what you're doing, and you're like, oh, God, what did I say? Right. We've got Vin Diesel, and then mm. we've got Giovanni Ribisi. Who's the medic. Who is the medic. T4 Medic Wade. And Jeremy Davies is our last. Um, Mr. Twitch. Yeah, I call him Lost. (laughs) I know him from Lost. He is our interpreter. He knows French and German, which is important when you're in the French countryside that is being taken over by Germans. And he has never, he hasn't fired a weapon since basic training. And he asks to take his typewriter with them. He does not. Get to take I, his I don't typewriter think he with understands them. Understands the mechanics of combat. It's like uh, he understands them. Like I don't think he's a dumb person. Well, I don't think he's dumb, but, but the typewriter shouldn't be. You know, if you have to go, you know, trudging through the countryside through mud and right. rain or whatever, I'm carrying a typewriter with yeah, me. Yeah, it turns out he's not great at war. No, nobody he's, should be. No, but uh, he's unlike particularly... Private Jackson, who's great at war, I mean, that's his thing. He seems to be really that's good at true. it. But... but he's particularly ill-suited. Right. So let's go through this. By death. I think that's the easiest way for me to remember how we get from the beginning to the end. So these men are all given to Miller. They don't know where Private Ryan is. He was supposed to be, he was a paratrooper, and he was supposed to be dropped 
in X place, and they know that he wasn't dropped where he was supposed to be dropped because nobody was dropped where he was supposed to be dropped because things foobar. Oh, hey guys, that's a foobar. No, that's like I, a plot point in this movie. Yeah, and I can't, I couldn't understand how nobody knew how this guy Upham didn't know what that meant. Right, but it was also 1944 or whatever. Right. It was in 2018. It wasn't common usage, but so foobar is military parlance, and it's moved over into everyday usage. Although I don't, I'm not yelling it every day, but it right. stands for fucked up beyond all recognition. It often describes our workplace. Oh, sad. Um, the other one that I used to hear all the snafu. Yes. I don't remember what snafu... Situation normal, all fucked all up. All fucked up. That's <laughs> right. right. That's right. As soon as you started it, I was like, oh, wait. And I... FUBAR always equated to a an acronym for me. Right. Snafu, I didn't know was an acronym for a long time. I was in the Jeremy Davies camp of, I don't know that word. <laughs> Oh, that's German? I don't know that word. <laughs> and I'm like, you know German. You should know this is not a German word. And to, uh, there's something about when Upham gets stuck with these battle-hardened veterans. Yeah. They give him crap all of the they time. They give him crap all the time, but it's not mean-spirited It's not. It really isn't because, yeah, we're not watching like... Um, they're not harassing him. They're not hazing him. No, it do- it doesn't feel like Full Metal Jacket. Right. It's not that that's happening. They are treating him like a little brother almost. Yeah, they're giving him a lot of crap. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it all winds up going really wrong. Yeah. Really wrong. So all of these men, uh, they respect Miller. They don't know what he did before this. Right. He, he is closed-lipped for... Apparently, the previous two years and the first half of this movie. Because he's uh, keeping about, his own life separate from what he's doing right, now. About his, his life outside. So they take bets and they try and get him to tell him, but he never does. But they are, and they're well respecting of him. They don't make any bones about the fact that they think that this mission is bullshit. Why is this one person more important than the eight of us? That just amplifies as we go along, as it becomes fewer of them and fewer of them. So we go along and we come to a a, a village that's been this largely Newville, right? Decimated, right. yes. And I'm saying that really badly, but yeah, our French pronunciations are going to be wretched because <laughs> we neither of us have studied French in any way. Uh, and there's, um, like a shelled out house and on the second floor, there's a family with two children and they are trying to hand off the children to the American soldiers thinking that they, that's going to be better for them. And Miller is trying to say, no, we don't want kids get away from us. We can't help you. We're not doing it. This, that, and the other. And that, but Vin Diesel sees this little girl who's, Maybe six. Right. And it reminds him of his niece. And he goes up and he grabs her. And then he is taken out by a sniper. Who then is taken out by Jackson. A different sniper. Our sniper. In a really kind of shocking kind of scene, shoots directly through the other guy's eyepiece. Eyepiece, yeah. shoots him in the face. It's it's an impressive shot. It's really to show you what... He's capable of. He's capable of. Because he talks big shit about his skill, uh-huh. 
but it's not bullshit. It's no. real. Um, so and tell my friend, talk he any is, shit you want to, as long as you back it up. Right. And he is, that's, that's when he starts talking about how he's wasted on this particular mission. Now, granted, he's not. He's, he saves them from the sniper. Right. Takes up this other sniper. But this is sort of when unrest begins among the, the group because they've now lost Caparzo. Who was important to them. And I mean, he should be for but what still, for right. this kid that's probably dead. And well, and and that scene. So there's the the parent trying to give the little girl to the troops coming by. Yeah. And then at the end of it, they just wind up handing her back, and handing she her back over, and then she slapping her dad. She slaps her dad. That's a good piece of right. of acting. But it shows how incredibly futile because nothing changed. Nothing nope, they're changed. They're in the same place. They're in the same bombed out house. Somebody died. Except and she's now died. watched. Somebody who was holding her at the mm -hmm. time. Right. So she's died. worse off than she was she is, five yeah. minutes before this encounter began. Every, everyone is worse off than they were. And then what is the next? They find a, a private James Ryan. They Yes, they find a, a James Ryan, and it is a very young... Baby. Baby. Nathan face. Fillion. Nathan Fillion. Before two girls, a guy... And a pizza place. A dog... No, just two an girls, airplane. a guy, I and a pizza place. That title that meant nothing. And then they changed it to two girls and a guy. Right, because they got rid of the pizza place? And he wasn't even one of the two no, guys. No, it was Ryan Reynolds and somebody else. Two like, guys and a girl, that's right. what it was. And it was Ryan Reynolds and a dude who's the Peter Scolari of the two. Right. <laughs> Sad. Sorry, Peter Scolari. I'm sure you have a very happy life, but you're no Tom Hanks. Um... Yeah, he. I don't remember his name. I think he does like directing now, but then Nathan Fillion was the girl's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching that show at the time. I didn't hate that show. Actually, um, it was funny. I I didn't see the crazy thing is I didn't see much of the woman after this. Yeah, I don't know who she was. I bet she is working. Right. She just isn't Nathan Fillion or Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Who just um, gone on to these huge careers? Yeah, um, and I would I would argue that Nathan Fillion is also no Ryan Reynolds, mm -hmm. so one of them wins. I like him better. <laughs> I know, I know you do. I like seeing him on TV. So he's got a new show coming. It's oh. basically Castle again. So Castle Two, sort of Fortress. I, I didn't get it, and then I did. Uh, and then, okay, so... We were introduced to Nathan Fillion's character, who they think is Private He's Ryan. James Ryan, but they don't get his middle initial, and they tell him that his brothers are dead. And he's like, how? And they say, in action. And he says, that's not possible. My brothers are in grammar school. So he is not James A, but James T, or whatever the hell. I don't, those are not right. But of a different place, Minnesota, I think. And he still continues to have a breakdown, even though he realizes... And then he's like, how do you know they're still alive? I have to go home. And I'm like, dude, you are really missing the point. I'm I not sure if he's shell-shocked or just really dumb. I don't think he's dumb. I think it's shocking to right. hear. These people are looking for you, have said your name. I mean, granted... It's not It's not only your name, but it's your... Like, if somebody came out and was looking for Lemuel Gonzalez or Amity well, Armstrong, there'd be only right. one. James Ryan. Oh, the Irish are plentiful. Uh, so, and I think that, you know, and 
how much do you want to go? How much do you want to get the fuck out of there? I guess, yeah. Like his motivation really did seem to be he's just gone a little bit. Yeah, I th- well, I think that that might have just so, snapped him a right. little bit. Yeah. Uh, but he, when they're in uh, Newville is when they hear about the riot, the riot protecting the bridge in Ramel. Yes. Um, it's not pronounced Ramel because they I, get I'm so sorry, so frustrated that they just start yelling. Does anybody know a James Ryan? Ryan? And then somebody goes, oh, I know somebody who knows James Ryan. Oh, is this the soldier who, who this is the, was too close to the artillery? The big maybe. redhead who is deafened by artillery right. and just can't agree with what he's being asked because he cannot hear what he is being asked. And they wind up writing, and this is the, it follows a theme from A Fish Called Wanda. Uh, hand him a piece of paper and a pencil. Write that shit down. And write that down. It's really, yeah, you don't stutter when you write, mm-hmm. and you can hear. I mean, you don't need to hear what you're writing. So they find out that this Ryan has had landed mm-hmm. and was now working to secure a bridge. At this point, any bridge is worth its weight in gold because the Germans want to push tanks one way, and the Allied forces want to push tanks the other way. And so whoever controls the bridge wins. Get it, guys? Yeah, it's com- complicated. My dad used to watch a lot of war movies when I was a kid. The number of bridges I have seen blown up in yeah. these films, I, that was always a plot point. Like Bridge on the River Kwai. That's mm. the whole point of it. Right. The whole movie. It was like four hours long. I don't know if it's really four hours long. It feels like it's four hours long. It's very good. It's very good. It is really a great movie, but it's about blowing up a bridge. Yeah, but bridges... So, And and the idea is they don't want to blow the bridge. The Blowing the bridge is the last... Right, last resort. Resort, because if they they wanted to just blow the bridge, they Mm. could do it. It's wired with explosives when they get there. But anyways... Before they get to Ramel, they neutralize a, a machine gun position. Yes. And because they come up uh-huh. through a line of trees and there's just a bunch of soldiers dead on the ground and they realize somebody is manning some guns. They want to neutralize it. This is Miller's choice to neutralize it against everyone else that he's with. They want to just give the coordinates to the people in charge and then have them go over with a plane or whatever and take them out. But Miller knows that it's one gun. And they're not going to do that. And then the next people who come through here are going to get taken out. Slaughtered. So he wants to put an end to that. So they do a frontal attack on this machine gun, which is dangerous. And Being that they don't know where it is exactly, a frontal attack is pretty much all you can do. You can't yeah. sneak around it if you don't know where it is. Right. And they all get through, but Wade takes... Basically a strafe across his mm-hmm. midsection. He's fatality. Yes. He's shot multiple times across his body. And they're trying to get him to tell them and and then they're able to neutralize the machine gun. And they are trying to get him to tell him tell them how to how to right, fix it. Right, because him. Wade is the medical officer. He's the medic, yeah. And this is Giovanni Rubisi's character. And this is the most this is the part that got me the most because he knows that he he right, isn't he gonna make dying. it, 
Um, and he kind of has to walk them through being okay with that, try and come to terms with it himself, and then he just has them give him morphine to sort of... They, he, they, he basically asks them to euthanize him. So he's being blissed out as he's yeah. on his way out. Well, and, you know, to overdose on the morphine right. to, to make it go faster so that he just doesn't have to suffer. And it's a very good performance by Giovanni Ribisi and by everybody else. And it leads to a really a good moment, dramatic moment, where they then, based on that decision, they're really furious because yes. like, this is the this second, is member, the of second team, member of their team. And he's also, lost. on top of being their friend, he's also the person that they're going to go to in case of anything being wrong, in case they get injured. So now they see themselves as going forward without a safety net. Right, 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 right. He is and, very much was very much their safety net. Yeah. And when they capture this. Uh, German a machine gunner Upham yes. makes the argument that they should, you know, they have to capture him he, as a prisoner of war. He's a prisoner of war and they can't kill him. That's right. Upham's argument. That's the rules of war. They have to let him go or they have to keep him with him. They're not going to keep him with him. But Miller ends up acquiescing against, like I said, everybody. Nobody wanted and Edward to. Edward Byrne's character is the most um, vocal. Right, the yeah. most vocal, a private uh, raven. Yeah. Is the most vocal about questioning the decision. He wants to just get up and go. Yeah. He wants to go AWOL. He, well, he does. And this brings us in conflict with Sergeant Horvath, who's very much, these are our orders. These are our orders. And they're either going to come to blows or going to come to a gunfight. At which time Miller tells them, hey, I'm a teacher. (laughs) Which seems to diffuse the situation, not just because it's been the focus of interest for them, but also it's letting them know that. If he's not making the decisions that they're approving of, this is not what he does. He's not a professional soldier. Right. Even though he's made good choices mm -hmm. along the way and and is trustworthy. And they trust him with their lives. And I imagine that in a situation like this, this is what you do. You you find the person who manages to stay alive and you stick with that person. Yes. Yeah. And we know that he has gone through... I mean, he's had dozens of men die Mm -hmm. under him, but hundreds more survive under him. Uh, And... And he knows about rules, and he 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 releases his sort of thoughts on the mission, and his thoughts on the mission are: if my getting this private Ryan and returning him to his family means that I get to go back home to mine, then that's the mission that I'm doing. Like well, because he's again a school teacher, so yes. he sees he sees the importance of orders and yes. discipline, but he also sees. Uh, in the back of his mind, something that he's pushed back and something that he eventually shares with Private Ryan is that there's a life that they're fighting for. This isn't a means to an end in itself. This is them trying to create a future where fascism is not is not the the uh, the order. Right. Hey, they could be considered anti-fascist. <clears throat> so they continue on to. A Rommel, which is probably not but how it's pronounced. An important point to make is that they let the German officer go. Yes, they let him go. They and they kind hand, of a, they blindfold him and just let him walk off in that direction. Some things direct. to know though, he's a, a kind of a shit. Yes. I mean, not just because he's Nazi, he does everything in his. But also because he's a Nazi. Right. <laughs> that doesn't help. He does everything to survive. He's digging a grave for the the man he just shot. Yes. They're going to put him in a grave soon himself, or maybe just leave him after they kill him. And he goes on to do everything to ingratiate himself to his captors. Yeah, he he talks about, I love 
Steamboat, Steamboat Willie. Willie. And, and of fact, on Wikipedia, I love American television. He, or on the, the, the uh, Private Ryan wiki, he's referred to as Steamboat Willie. Oh, really? But uh, he goes on about Betty Grable's legs. He goes on with these pre-digested phrases about, and finally ending with fuck Hitler. Fuck Hitler, yeah. As if this is all going to keep him alive. It's Upham's insistence on playing by the yeah, rules. Yeah, and up well, him. and Upham was allowed to like hang out with him while he was doing the digging. They were smoking together and speaking together. So he up because right, Upham because speaks, speaks German, German, and so his heart gets in the way of everything. Making and, a reasonable decision. Yeah, and. He believes that everybody's going to play by the rules, and the rules are if he surrenders, we don't kill him. And so they let him go. He'll be back. (laughs) And they go on to Ramel, where they find a small group of paratroopers, and it it had to be just a dozen dudes, maybe two dozen dudes. Like it's two dozen is too much. Two dozen was yeah, probably too many. And they find James Ryan, the the correct. James Ryan, and they tell him, hey, we're sorry for your loss. All your brothers are dead. You're going to go home. And he's like, mm actually, I'm not. And he echoes in his refusal the same things that they've been saying about the mission all along. Right. He has no right to go home ahead of any of these other people. Right. They all have families. Plus, he is one of a very few people holding a very important spot. Right. And now they're, he, he would be leaving them in an even more dire... He's holding the spot until the Air Force is able to come along. Yep. And so that's what they're doing. They're just holding the place. And there's a very large force of Germans coming. They're coming. With tanks. Two, four tanks. And half-tracks and all sorts of nonsense. And they're going to be coming through this town. Yep. And the Air Force will not be there in time to stop them. Well, they're hoping they will be. Right, but... hey. They aren't. <laughs> but at this, in this scene, we see Private Ryan, and we realize that there's no... He's actually very heroic. Right. And so there's... Yeah, we, I think that they have respect for him. Right. Um, because, they A, they know that he didn't call them to come get him, right? Like, it wasn't like... He he's Ubering out of the war. He wasn't like hey, I think come they and don't get know me. what to expect from him. And when they see him, he's so much one of them. He could yeah. so much be one of their group yeah. that they have respect for him. And this leads uh, Captain Miller instead of just going back and saying, "All right, tag," right? That or he's going to stay grabbing him by right. the ear and being like, mm-hmm. "You know, you're coming with me." They're going to stay and help them defend the bridge until the air force gets there. Until the air force gets there. Unfortunately, this the Germans get there first. This is a bad <laughs> choice. Miller comes up with some ideas for some sticky bombs, which everyone is incredulous of, and he's like, it's in the book that they gave us. It's a sticky bomb, to explain, is sort of like what a sticky bun is to your heart and digestive system. Oh, no. It it's... sticks in there, and then it blows it up. Exactly. Cholesterol's um, no joke, kids. Nope, it isn't. <laughs> the... Idea is that a sticky bomb is made from a sock and explosive stuffed into it, and um, axle grease smeared on the outside, and it's stuck in the or thrown or placed in the uh, treads treads of a tank, so that blows off the treads and it can't really. And then the tank is immobilized, becoming a 
roadblock. Right, in the middle of these very narrow European streets that were made for wagons. So um, they improvised some weapons. Because they don't have, they have 30 caliber guns, some Molotov cocktails, some detonation cord, a couple of anti-tank mines, but not very many. And they have the explosive that they're using to rig the bridge. And then the bridge is totally rigged right. to blow. Actually, because the, the one thing that they blow. can't do is mm-hmm. allow the Germans to cross the bridge. And the fight comes. And the fight comes with 50-plus infantry, German infantry, four tanks, two panzers and two tiger tanks. I don't know the difference. I don't, I don't know. And then two mortar assault guns. Those do the most damage. Uh, and then they're able to do a significant amount of damage, including the sticky bomb takes out one of the Tiger tanks and hobbles it in the middle of the street. Most of the paratroopers, along with most of the people we've been watching for this movie... Horvath and Mellish and Jackson... Jackson. They all get it. No. Yeah. Mostly because Upham, who does not shoot, is given all of the artillery to bring to where the artillery He's got is needed. One job. And Just instead. ropes of artillery around his neck like he's Mr. T. Bring these bullets to the people who are shooting and need these bullets, and he is unable to make that happen. Jackson, in particular, is trapped in a tower, runs out of artillery. He's doing really well sniping at these people and just taking them out. He's amazing at it, and then just runs out of bullets. He runs out of bullets, and he would be doing fine, except for Upham's over trying to give Mellish the bullets, but Mellish is being attacked by... Steamboat Willie. Exactly. He's come back with these infantry, and he ends up killing in hand-to-hand combat. Hand-to-hand combat, which makes it even worse because... He's looking at him in the face and talking to him. not just he's looking him in the face and talking whispering to him in German, don't make this so hard, just relax, take it easy. Yeah. This is the way it's going to end. And Upham is standing right outside the room on a staircase. Hearing this. And so what makes that worse is that at any point physically, there was no guns, there was nothing. He himself was armed. And he, he, he has a pistol the, on him. Right. He could have gone in and done and something about it, and he doesn't. frozen in place. Yeah, With, because he's not a person who should be in Anywhere combat. near combat, but the, the amount of contempt for his uselessness comes when Steamboat Willie, after killing um, Mellish, Mellish Walks right by up him on the staircase. Sees him. Sees looks him, at him right in the face and, and just walks by. So aware of the fact that this man is this incapable is not, of doing Yeah, it. he is not a threat to He's the Germans. He's um, And then the battle presses the... Uh, the uh, and then right. he tries to run back to where Jackson is. And he gets... He's almost like Frodo with the ring wraiths. Like he's... There's a bunch of Germans sort of above him. Right. And he's just hiding from them, frozen. Yeah. And so he's unable to deliver the bullets over to Jackson. And then Jackson, who is up in like a bell tower, right? It, the bell tower is shot by one of these large caliber guns, or maybe the tank, maybe one of the tank. tanks. I can't remember. Um, takes out the bell tower. Just what's so that's tragic. But what's even more tragic is that. Miller and Horvath and the rest realizing that they're they can't fight this way anymore. 
are falling back to the position they call the Alamo, which is right. the other side of the bridge. We're going to blow the bridge. Yep. And at this point, Steamboat Willie is the one who shoots Captain Miller. That's right. In the chest. And so Upham is watching this going, Upham is trapped actually on the wrong side of the bridge. Right. But he's sort of cowering in a corner, and he's behind the Germans at any point again. They're back to him. Done he could something. pick up his he gun and have... just shot them in the back. Any one of them. I mean, right. you're not going to get all of them, but one of them, two right. of them. Maybe the one that fucked well, you over. maybe they'll scatter because they don't know where they're being shot right, from. Right, right. But instead, he's just completely incapable. And so he winds up, I think the switch probably, unfortunately, gets turned when he sees it's Miller. It's when he sees Miller get, get shot. shot. by the guy that he let go. The yeah. The guy that he insisted he then let go. Then he comes out and he does shoot him and right. kills him. Yeah. But uh, not until Miller is already gone. Yep. Miller's mortally killed. Um, and mortally that, killed. More, well, mortally, mortally wounded, wounded, I should say. Right. Yes, that's right. That is the way that, <laughs> that phrase works. Oh, death is terminal. But he's unable to get the detonator and blow the bridge. And so he's firing his pistol Miller at is. this tank that's right. coming across the bridge, which is... Bravado. Uh, it's, yeah. It makes well, it's not sense. bravado. It's yeah. like, I'm dying and I've got to do something and this is literally all I can do. So maybe I'll get lucky. Ping, ping, ping with my with my pistol against the tank. And then at that moment, the American reinforcement from the sky comes comes over with the tank buster missiles or bombs that right. are dropped really down. Really big bombs. Yeah. Well, yes. And I'm surprised anybody can hear. I surprised any veteran of that war can hear anything can hear at all. all. That yeah, must no, have been deafening. Then the Germans are pushed back by by the reinforcements, and then we have Ed Burns, Ryben, and um, uh, Matt Damon's Private Ryan is with Miller because his assignment during the entire battle was to stay next to Miller because. I've come all this way. I'm not gonna like put you out of my let you out of my sight so you die. Right. <laughs> you know, in this battle, you're gonna stay next to me. Ed Miller's last words to Private Ryan are James, earn this. Earn earn it. And then we doodly 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 back to the future and to the old man who we have seen before. When now it's close up on eyes is the thing that they do, right? So we go close up on his uh, on the old man's eyes at the beginning, and we're put into onto Tom Hanks's eyes in the boat at Omaha Beach, and then we go into Ryan's eyes and come out at the old man, and we know that this old man is. Private well, there's Ryan. also a little CGI fiddliness to it. Is where that? They turn do they change his? Well, oh, yeah. do they? Do they do a little bit of a? Which I a think bleed? was a little bit too much. I didn't like <laughs> it. And um, he asks his wife. I assume it's his wife. Actually, that's a presumption on my part. If he he was a good man, and she's like, yes, in a really dismissive and frustrated way. She's like, yeah. And then she goes back to like deal with the kids or whatever. And I'm like, well, he's clearly not told her anything about what happened to him. No, like no, every other veteran that came back. They keep them things these things to themselves. And 
we are we see him standing at Miller's grave. And then that's the end of the movie. Yep. Two hours and 50 minutes after it started. So what did you think? I... We're going to do that. What's the difference between enjoying and liking? I like the movie very much. Mm-hmm. I thought that the opening scene was incredible. Like, that is a film, uh, a, a feat of filmmaking. Uh, all of the actors were super good. And the story is good. So, good movie. So, good job, Steven Spielberg. You've made a good movie. It's not the best picture of the year. It lost best picture to... Shakespeare in Love. Yup. Which is a movie that I don't care for. <laughs> I think I loved it in 1998, but I was I also think, 18 in 1998. You have to like Shakespeare, because there's a lot of very funny kind of... A lot of very funny references to the plays, as if this he's is one of those ones, though, is, those right. that that fe- like feels like a snub. This feels like the movie that should have won Best Picture, and that it feels a little bit like a snub. I guess uh, he won Best Director. The cinematography won. The cinematography was amazing. Then the sound editing and mm-hmm. uh, mixing won, and the sound in this movie is also incredible. Um, and then editing, I think they won for editing. Uh, it was nominated for 11 uh, Academy Awards, only won six, five, and won five. None of the acting won Academy Awards. I find that, did it win any other kinds of awards? Mm-mm. It was, the, oh yeah, I'm sure. It, it was nominated and stuff and such for Golden Globes. Like it won the best drama Golden Globe. And mm. I don't know if Tom Hanks, let's see. Um, I I do think that that um, that Giovanni Ribisi role his performance was really very was good. very good. Um, I, I like him very much in things that I know that you don't. Um, he's love a, him I in. like him. I think that his choices though make it hard to. Some of his choices are such repulsive people. Yeah, I'm talking about things like like romantic comedies, things like that. Specifically, the other sister. You hate that movie with a passion. All right, I'll, I'll tell you. I was actually forced to sit and watch this movie. And I, and I understand was, now that it is I, deeply problematic. Yes, I didn't understand that at the time. So, I've grown as a person. And I'm looking here. He, he, uh, he did not win the gold. He was nominated for the Golden Globe, uh, but he didn't. That was. And it was in his streak, right? Mm-hmm. So, so for Golden Globe, his his history in the Golden Globes is a little bit bananas. So he was nominated for Best Act- Actor in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy for Big and won for Sleepless in Seattle and didn't win. Then for Drama, he was nominated for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump and This and Cast Away. And this is the only one he didn't win. And then he was, he's been nominated. He was nominated for Charlie Wilson's War for Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. I'm pretty sure for Charlie Wilson's War. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that was a musical or a comedy. 
I, but it's one of those right. weird, we've got extra people in the drama category, how do we mush them into the I've other never category? Seen that film. I don't understand how it would follow a lot of those guidelines. Well, The Martian criteria. wasn't a comedy either, so, and then he was nominated for, in drama, for uh, Captain Phillips and for The Post, so he's got a long and varied <laughs> career at the Golden Globes, but he didn't win, uh, didn't win for this. Yeah, his he he's got a whole like a very long Wikipedia article of the list of awards and nominations received by Tom Hanks, just that he did and didn't. It's a I'm, there's a lot of awards, and he's you know equally represented in comedy, true comedy, and drama, and and drama alike. So, I love you, Tom Hanks. You're a national treasure. He's one of a total of 50 of the awards on the list. Wow. So there you go. That's bananas. He even has a Tony Award nomination. He's going to get the EGOT. Mm. You'd have to switch Grammy for Golden Globe. I don't think that they do that. <laughs> All right. Um, so, but no, I will. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was hard to watch. There's a lot of blood in that beginning. There's parts of the film, too. There's gags that Steven Spielberg does where I didn't know whether I'm supposed to find this funny. Um, there's a bit in the beginning where they're storming Omaha Beach where there's a soldier and a bullet ricochets off his helmet, and yeah. he's stunned, so he takes off his helmet and immediately gets shot in the head. Uh -huh. I don't think I, he intended to be ha-ha funny, but... More like mm, funny. That's yeah. There's a there's a gallows humor, but also you know that shit happened. Well, yeah, and, and <sighs> I, I can imagine that things like that did. And happen. and just to show all of these boys, mm -hmm. these babies out there, just getting slaughtered and not knowing well, how theme, to even deal with the it. The theme of the film to me. What comes across what's hammered into your head is how the action of saving Ryan, Private Ryan, is a step towards these people regaining their humanity. Right. Because even Tom Hanks, who's a moral compass for this film... Right, of course. ...early in the, that film, uh, after he gets to the, the, the top of the beach in the, the, the first sequence, or the yeah. first um, part of the film, he sees his soldiers and other American soldiers setting Germans on fire and shooting them yeah. and torturing them. Yeah. And he's just ignoring it. No, and you, you, the other thing, one of the things that I think is very well done is showing how, how shell-shocked he is, which is not a term that's used anymore. Right. Um, traumatized he is. He's got a tremor in his hand. Yeah. His pinky shakes, and sometimes he spaces out and just goes away in the middle of whatever's happening. And he's very lucky that he isn't just fucking taken out at that point because he just freezes wherever he is and just sort of just goes into himself or goes away. It's unclear. I mean, we're not, fortunately, it's not like we're seeing flashbacks or something during that. That would be some heavy-handed bullshit, but he is clearly damaged by what he's been through. Mm. But it's shown in a really subtle way. 
And I, I don't think when I was a film student, I would have ever accused Steven Spielberg of being subtle. No, but nowadays, that is that is done uh, compared to the way that films are done nowadays. Um, I'm thinking of something like, uh, God, what was it? Suicide Squad, where we are never allowed to hear flashbacks. We have to hear the flashbacks and then see the flashbacks themselves, and then see and then a different flashback, a different flashback of the same proving event. the same point. Right. So it's just I would have never accused him that of being movie subtle. Was was really bad? just bad <laughs> and yeah. what's it, terrible is that there was a lot of good fun stuff in it but it was still yeah. just bad but this is exactly killed off adam so fast uh i'm sorry okay oh, we yeah, don't no. sorry. yeah that's a spoiler alert for a more modern movie and i agree with you that was stupid i was like i love him where'd he go right just straight up murdered in so that we can 14 seconds after he was brought in for far less interesting characters who really don't contribute things yeah, to the movie yeah no that that movie has problems but, anyway um but that's an example to me of of the incredible lack of subtlety in movies nowadays to where you can look back at this and go okay that was subtle and that was good his hands are trembling he seems to be withdrawing yeah and the like, and the conversation that that there's one conversation that happens between him and Ryan mm-hmm. um and so we've got Matt Damon who has gone on to be problematic in life but a good actor mm-hmm. uh where he's like i don't remember my brother's faces and he talks about brings up an extremely problematic memory well he does he he's talking he says you have to th- you can't just think about your brother's faces you've got to think about a specific memory right. like i think about sitting in the garden on a sunday and my wife you know pruning roses in my my old work clothes. And then he tells, yeah, this memory of apparently an unfortunate looking young lady uh, that his older brother is trying to get involved with. And they, his other brothers wake him up and bring him out to where this is happening and then humiliate both the brother and this girl. It's a story that's funny, though. You're a young man. <laughs> Don't do this. Um, and then he can see their faces. The, their faces, and that's the last time that they were all together. And um, and that's a good scene. And, that's and then a, he says, right. "Can I hear about your gloves, your wife and those gloves?" And he says, "No, that's that's a memory that I'm I keep for myself." So we don't hear any more than he's already given us and he's given us very little about his own life because it's the only thing keeping him sane right. and keeping that tremor away you know full time so no, I, I I can say that I actually I can't it's hard to say that again you enjoy the film <laughs> I like the movie I thought it was really successful in what it was attempting to do I think that that opening Omaha Beach scene though was almost as if Hmm. I think that, not to say that it was unnecessary, but it was almost as if you were watching a separate film. It feels a little bit like, look what I can do. Well, yeah, and it didn't really impact the rest of the movie. I, I would disagree with that, because I think it really puts you in the mindset that everyone here is imminently in danger. Like... You could die mm-hmm. at any moment. This mother might lose her son at any moment. And so there is a little bit of emergency put on that. 
Well, there's a sense of urgency in or that. That's the word I want. What, yeah. What, how much danger they're in. Right. But you see it so often, the suddenness of death in the rest of the film, with the sudden machine gunning, or I was going to say Carpaccio again, the way that he gets it he just gets out it of the so, blue. He gets it just so quickly, yeah. Um, no, that's true. That it also makes its point, it reinforces that point all through the movie, so it almost feels like, um, I know that people complain that Full Metal Jacket feels like two films put together. Well, because it is tonally very different. But I felt like in watching this movie, something similar, like yeah. as if that first almost half Although hour. It Although it feels tonally the same. It doesn't feel tonally, not tonally different. But it feels as if, again, if you cut that scene out of the film, it will carry the same message. Yeah. I don't but know, I don't think it would to be varying as degrees strong. of effectiveness, yeah. maybe, but I think that the sudden. But do we need to give. Veterans PTSD for going to the no, movies. And that's, not that's what you did, the film I know. Did. I understand and that. I, that's why, in reading more about this film, I understand that there were some people who criticized it as being it glorified war. And I can't. I that see is that at not all. the word that I would use I, to describe absolutely it. Absolutely not at all. And yeah, there are some no. directors like there's it. no glory given. I believe to it was this. Oliver Stone who was having issues with the film, saying that this is you know you mad because you can't make well, a movie. Like, he's he oh. made Platoon, right? Uh, yes. Which is a movie that I have not seen. It might be a movie that we right. watch for the show. That sounds like some sour grapes well, no, bullshit Well, it also does sound like the experience of a person who actually was a soldier, a foot soldier, as opposed to... Well, I think this is... Is this the beginning of him sort of fetishizing World War II? Uh, Spielberg. Spielberg? Uh, not really, because when you think about it, all of the Indiana Jones films kind of fetishize this sort of... It's sort of the same time very, period, too, yeah. Yeah, very good. Because I'm very thinking evil. specifically of like Schindler's List. Schindler's and it was List all the way back to 1941, his, his second Oh, that film. weird... Kind of comedy that he did. Yeah. Um, with John Belushi, who we know now. Yes. But uh, in that film, there was, you know, it's very easy to paint with broad strokes, which is what he likes. You don't have to go into a lot of details when you see in one of his films, like the Indiana Jones films, you see the Germans in the background with the swastikas and then there's a music cue that John Williams plays to show that they're evil. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, right, something like that. And he's really good with that because he also did Star Wars and almost well, right, back Yeah, he Wars. makes villain themes. Villain music. Like, that's a thing so, that he does. Yeah, he's always had this sort of notion about how, uh, how evil the Germans are. Okay. And, um, I mean, and, he's of Jewish descent, so... Right, but also I think that He's always run into this problem. In Close Encounters of the Third Kind, there's a French director, Francois Truffaut, played a translator. They played it really well in Close Encounters. And he wound up becoming a friend with Spielberg, and they had a huge falling out over uh, Schindler's List. Because Francois Truffaut goes, I was a kid when this was happening in Europe, and you were a kid 20 years later, or whatever, or 10 years later. Right. You had no part of this. You didn't understand what it was like. And so he's uh, not allowed to make the film. Right, and I think it's sort of similar to what, what's his name, uh, was saying. Oliver Stone, I actually was a grunt in Vietnam, and you didn't—you've never been a soldier in your but life. But this you isn't this Vietnam, means? right? But the idea was that the experience of the person who's been there, as opposed to the experience of the person who's sort of absorbing it. This is lens. all done by white men who, yeah, who don't think that women should have a voice in cinema, but feel like they can put women I, like I it's can't a say little that about truthful. I, bullshit. I, well, I can kind of—I don't know about him. I can't because I don't know enough about him outside of his work. But it just feels a little like, I want to tell my story, you can't tell my story. But I'm also going to tell her story and his story and their mm-hmm. story. Like, it just feels a little like bullshit to me. Especially because Oliver Stone is like, he's, he's real uneven, right? He's like, really uneven. 
When he hits, he hits big. When he misses, he misses. Like, I have wide. to look at his filmography because I don't know that I've actually ever seen an Oliver Stone movie. Um, Which I've, seems mm-hmm. wrong to me. So, like I said, I'm going to look at the filmography. But anyway, no, I think Steven Spielberg can make whatever movie he wants to make. I feel like he's been choosing lately more talky, less action. Which doesn't lean into Does not his. Suit him. No. Like he did the post, right? Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that. Um, and he, I haven't seen anything from a few years. I, yeah. I haven't seen. I, I think War Horse. Was, no, no, we did. As a matter of fact, what are we both saying? We both saw Ready Player One. Oh, yeah, that doesn't feel like even a Steven Spielberg movie. But before that one was the last one we saw. Uh, okay, so Saving Private Ryan. AI, seen it. Minority Report, seen it. Catch Me If You Can, seen it. The Terminal, did not see it. War of the Worlds, saw it. I saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull more recently than that. That's the most recent movie of his that I saw because then it's the Tintin movie, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, the BFG, The Post. Yeah, I haven't seen any of Ready Player One is the... And then we saw Ready Player One. So for 10 years... Because Crystal Skull came out in 08. Right. We didn't see a Steven Spielberg movie. Did you know that he's doing West Side Story? Why? Well, because why wouldn't you? And then the kidnapping of Edgardo Mortara is in pre-production. And then Untitled Indiana Jones Project. So those are the upcoming things. Well, maybe I think it would be better off if he didn't keep... Um keep trying to be David Lane. So I saw, I still, like, I haven't seen a bunch of his stuff, but I've seen a bunch of his stuff. Um, but, yeah, people want me to say that he's, like, the greatest director of our time, and I'm like, mm, I'm going to go ahead and not say that, actually. Uh, Who do you think the greatest director of your time is? Oh, I don't have an answer for that. Um, I'm going to say neither him nor James Cameron. Those are sort of the, you know the top not, two at right? this those are sort of the people that the, the, that are like the mm-hmm. top. James Cameron believes himself to be the greatest director mm-hmm. of all time, and James Cameron is very good at what he does. But but again, it's a limited what he does. I think that the greatest maybe Guillermo. Yeah, maybe that's a good choice. Maybe think... Guillermo del Toro. Maybe. Any of the Cuaron? Cuaron? Ma- any, yeah, <laughs> maybe in Yadito. <laughs> maybe it's yeah, no, right. Not right now the an greatest American. living director is in Mexico. Not just a white dude. Yeah. So I think that's gonna bring us to the end oh, of yeah. our Steven Spielberg rant. In summation, we love Tom Hanks right. and we tolerate Steven, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. <laughs> and this movie is very good and makes me want to watch the Band of Brothers mm-hmm. um, set that I've had for uh, five years and have never cracked open. It might be time. I do enjoy war movies. They're, I think they're important. I like them like I like Westerns. They remind me of like actual good days of my dad. Really? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, they kind of do that to me too. I like. I mean, I I will watch spaghetti westerns all day long. This is what I did with my dad. I'm not a spaghetti western girl, but because it was um, so weird, and for some reason he really liked them. I don't know why. Even more than the sort of westerns that we would see with familiar actors like John Wayne. Yeah. Even more than that. My dad really was enjoyed. a John Wayne. Right. 
person. He fancied himself John Wayne, so that might be why. A lot of people do. I think it's part of John Wayne's appeal. All right. So this week is a vast uh, departure from regular July movies. Like I said, this movie feels like it should be released in November, but July 24th, 1998, and... um, so so July has been comprised now of Animal House, of A Fish Called Wanda, and next week we're going to be watching Mamma Mia from 2008. So this is a vast departure yes. for, from this was almost like typical July fair. And this, if you look on right. what comes out in theaters even now, this is a vast departure from... Well, this was almost like being back in the 70s when you were watching that string of 70s films that just got That's more violent, true. more depressing, and more the, hostile as they went along. You know what did come out, though, I think, in summer, fairly recently, war movie that, that sort of rivals this one is Fury, which that tank movie, yeah, and, and which I did. also believe came out in the summer. Right. It reminded me a lot of that film in that it shared a similar color palette. Yeah. Um, I feel a, like that movie took a lot right. from it this. It also had similar characters. You had the... The, Bible, the Southern Bible Thumper in that was Shia LaBeouf, I think, in that film. Yeah, the only that movie difference was is very good. The cast in um, Fury was a lot more ethnic. Yeah, I think that that's right. Because Michael Pena was one of the soldiers yeah. in that film. And, oh. and there you go, that there did go. it. <laughs> Not a lot more ethnic. Ethnic at all, I think, is, is yeah. what you're looking for. I, the war I was a little surprised there was not a black... Officer? Yeah. Officer. Or private? I mean, for God's sakes, there were enough of them. Well, I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. All right. But I, the, the war film I want to see still has not been done. And what is that? And that would be on the 442nd Infantry. The Japanese soldiers who were Japanese-Americans who were the most decorated unit in the entire Second World War because being Japanese, they had something to prove. Did they, where did, did they fight in the Western? Uh, yeah, I believe in, they did. Yeah, I, don't, I can't think that they, they would have been allowed to fight fought, in Japan. You know, maniacally, because they really wanted to prove their worth as Americans. And not only that, they were Japanese, so there's a really death before dishonor kind of thing. And I think the only reference that really in film that we have towards it is the Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid, where Mr. Miyagi turns out to have been a member of the 442nd. Um, while his wife dies in an internment camp, and this is the reason why he's so isolated. Well, I have some good news for you. Oh, really? New film, Go for Broke, explores Mm -hmm. the formation of U.S. military's most decorated units. Expected to be released in 2017, so we'll have to look for it. Mm, Okay, yeah. So, there you go. (laughs) And it looks like there's a movie called Only the Brave from 2006. Honking journey into the hearts and minds of the forgotten heroes of World War II, the Japanese American 100th, 442nd. So we can get you some movies. We'll find you some some movies on the ones that you are on the uh, people that you have been. And that movie, there's a two thousand. The only bit of the brave in two thousand six mm-hmm. was written by a Japanese, written and directed by a Japanese. I would have liked filmmaker. to have seen a Wind Talkers, for instance, movie that was. Really, from the point of view of the Native Americans instead of the point of view of Nicolas Cage gathering Native Americans. I gotta say, Windhawkers was a rough go when everyone dies. Right. And, like, I get that everyone dies, but, like, the way that that movie laid that shit out was rough. <laughs> it was John Woo, wasn't it? Uh, 
yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so <laughs> I know, but like I have now invested myself right. for two hours and fifteen minutes, and none of these motherfuckers mm-hmm. are making it out. Like, fuck you! I need a little bit of a Hollywood ending, right? <laughs> like, I need something. So, all right, do you have a recommendation? That's not a war movie. Yes, I do. And this is a recommendation that I feel that you will share along with me. Probably. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which we saw last... The first Marvel lady to be named in the title of the film, Um, which is re-goddamn-dicious. Yes, it is. Um, I think that I really... Well, I really enjoyed the first film. I enjoyed this as much, if not more. It's really very funny. It's yeah, I, I don't know if I liked it more because I've got to watch the first one again, mm. but I enjoyed the hell out of this one. Well, because it's funny. It moves very quickly. Um, the characters are really likable. Something that we've talked about, Paul Rudd, the opening scene, the lengths he goes through to entertain his daughter. So because good. Because he can't leave the house. It's so He's adorable. Like, yeah, he is. Uh, and... Just this amazing cast of background characters, um, and Michael Pena stealing scenes left and right. So good, he they use him just the right amount, and he's fantastic. Mm. And I would really like his character right. to before Avengers four do a straight recap, drunk history style, the way that he does in this movie of like the Avengers this well, far. That would be amazing. Because the Avengers was such a hard movie and Black Panther, which I loved, was such a serious movie on a big scale. These movies are right. nice because they're smaller scale. Right. Like literally and also figuratively. And also we got to see our hometown. We got to see some Oakland. Yes, we got to I got to see my old stomping grounds at one point in the movie. It was there's a it is just, you know, Uncanny, you're watching it and like, oh, wait a second, that's the market where I shop. Right. Or that's, you know, that's know around that. the, the corner from I've, my I've old been job. There. There's yes. My, yeah. So um, there's that. And I guess it had been filming in town and I didn't know that this was That's Ant-Man what it was. was. But it kept disrupting traffic and I would go to work, uh, do my second job downtown and, and like, oh, the streets are blocked off because someone's driving a, you know, an automobile through it and there's cameras mounted on the, on the car. Or somebody's doing this or that, and it turns out this is what was going on. But it was uh, it was really in- enjoyable. Paul, Paul Rudd is always really good. Evangeline Lilly. She's great. Who's wonderful and really tough and really deserved this spot. Yes. I used to love her on Lost. Lost had a great cast. I love almost everyone from there. Um, but she just is, she's taking this opportunity and she's running wild with it. Yeah, she is. She's, she's great. Really, really good. Michelle Pfeiffer doing some good mm-hmm. work. Since um, Mother, 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 which is a movie that I have mixed feelings about, but Michelle Pfeiffer was fantastic in. Yeah. And since then, she's been in sev- like quite a few things, and I hadn't seen her in ages before that. I don't know if she decided to take some time away, or I don't Raise know. It's none of my business. Done, yeah. um, but the work that she's done since she got back, like her and Laura Dern are fucking killing it. It's awesome. Oh, the other thing I would draw everyone's attention to in Ant-Man films is the really great use of de-aging makeup. It's really they. It's creepy. not even. I don't even think we can call it makeup. Not well, it's, digital makeup. They're they they're calling it quote deep faking. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
yeah, digitally euthanizing. That's no, no, not that's right. Not the word. But making useful people. Yes, and they did it. Michael Douglas. It was eerie because, it, it, again, I'm one of those people who's old enough to remember Michael Douglas in the streets of San Francisco. No, of course. Yeah, you could like you could find out what he looks like right now. And, and Michelle Pfeiffer as well has been Michelle around. Michelle Pfeiffer, it's like yes. since her late teens. And so they've been everywhere. So you can go back and look. And when they've done stuff before, I remember the first time they did this kind of stuff was in one of the X Men movies, and it was just unconvincing and creepy. Right, but the ones that Marvel have done, they have are, not done it without really nailing it. Right. It Ooh, is, that young Robert Downey Jr. is... Yeah, that uh, one was just weird. I'm yeah. Like, am I looking at a scene that was kind of a film that he did 30 years ago and this... Yeah, it was... Mm. Maybe. Kind of. Oh, excuse me. All right, I think we got to wrap this up. My mm. recommendation is short and sweet. Go find the stills of Samuel L. Jackson on the set of the new M. Night Shyamalan movie and marvel at uh, his costume because it's sick as fuck. It, it is amazing. I'm serious. When you see it, you will understand what I'm talking about. You will get less out of it because your colorblindness is going to be a factor in what you can see. His fucking Mr. Glass is looking badass as hell, and I'm very excited I'm about excited this movie. I'm excited for that film, period. I mean... Yeah, so I mean, check out the stills. The, They've only released images. They haven't released any footage, to my knowledge. But check them out and get hyped. All right, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are buckling in for some Who's My Daddy comedy. What? Uh, and songs... Songs, ABBA, we're doing it. Mamma Mia, 2008. Into it was swinging. Back to the July. And we're not, probably not, going to be seeing Mamma Mia 2 in theaters, but one never knows. Uh, <laughs> I've got a movie pass, I can see it thing. for free. Mm. So we will talk to you next week. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please let us know. We are at latecomers pod at gmail.com and also at latecomers pod on twitter uh we have a facebook page and a facebook group we'd love to see you in there not a lot's going on but make something happen we'll respond yes we will we will i'm on facebook way more than i need to be and uh, lemuel's book is on sale at ceiling night at uh amazon.com prime day is coming up you know use your points i don't know how it works and and by coming up, I mean was last week. Right. Damn it. Well, I forgot how time works. We're, we're lost in time. And I think that's everything. So thank you so much for listening. We love you very much. And remember, better, better late, late than, than never. never. Dun, dun, dun.